Welcome to Telford Elim Sunday Podcast. We are so glad you could join us. To keep up to date with all that's going on, please go to telfordelim.com. I do hope you enjoy today's talk. And renewal is a wonderful concept. This idea has been renewed. And so, um, there's no awakened youth this week, but there is Sunday school. So for the kids who want who are going out to Sunday school, may God bless you as you go out. The basis of this sermon is in your newsletters anyway, because it's the prayer page, and it's looking at church's renewal as a renewal center. So all the base notes are there, and so I will be stepping out of those a little bit, but all the points are there for you to follow. So This idea of renewal, renewal is so at the heart of worship and the spirit, because we're looking at worship in the spirit. And it's all about renewal. It's about encounters with God. It's about transformation. Renewal brings a new season of energy, passion, and joy. But it does speak of those fresh worship encounters. It speaks of a deepening prayer relationship, because prayer is the heart of the breath of our relationship with God. But also, it speaks about the removal of the weights and the sins that hold us back. So spiritual renewal transforms every aspect of our lives. It enables us to flourish as God intends so that everyone here can love Jesus passionately. In essence, a renewal center exalts the lordship and kingly authority of Jesus. It is a whole life center that's full of Christ's grace and power. It's a people filled with the Spirit's presence, power, and provision, as he does provide. This is at the heart of a renewal center. So thinking about it, why would you need renewal? Well, one of the big challenges in renewal is that quite often there are sicknesses of the soul, things that go on deep within our lives that are a sickness, that are what you could call the soul sickness. So what sort of things bring soul sickness into our lives? What do you think are some of the things that create a soul sickness? Bitterness, worries, grief, lack of forgiveness, anger, disappointment, pride, sorry, fear, the consequences of not resisting it, yes, not resisting temptation. What about one of the really big ones? Guilt. It's one of the ones that's a big soul sickness. And the, cons- and the one that flows from guilt is, begins with this, shame. Guilt and shame. These are big soul sicknesses that drag people down into a place where they're just almost unable to overcome anything. They just can't move in the spirit. Soul sicknesses. Any others you can think of? Stress? Yes. What about a lack of self-control? Well, but the opposite of that, what about a lack of self-discipline? 
So self-control is, you can, you know, I've explained it before. If there's somebody else's chocolates are sitting in front of you, self-control says, I will not eat those because they're not mine. <laughs> Self-discipline is doing the right things, the hard things that you know are going to bless. So taking the time to pray, to personal worship, to read the Bible, to meditate, to fast, to give to God. Doing those things, the difficult things. Self-discipline includes uh, turning away from the world and turning to God. I love the river of God that's in Ezekiel 47. So we're going to turn to Ezekiel 47. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. chapter on the run up to Ezekiel 47 and chapter 46 he talks about the renewal of the temple and about what's going to take place and about the prince of the land and how there's going to be a transformation but he also talks about interestingly in the, just in the immediate uh, passage before this about the, the temple kitchens and there's going to be in, the, in the, this sense that it's really something important to note that the kitchens will be put in the temple itself so that whenever they cook the offerings that they wouldn't trans wouldn't have to carry them through amongst the people because if the these holy offerings these offering these sacrifices that have been given if they were carried amongst the people they would transmit holiness and guess what holiness would bring death to the people because they weren't holy so the holy the holy things wouldn't lose their holiness in this new season of the Messiah. Rather, the, the holy things would bring death if you weren't prepared for it. And so the kitchens are put into the very heart of the temple. Well, that's quite a, a severe picture, isn't it? So let me read verses 1 to 12 of Ezekiel 47. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. The, the man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as I went, as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, Have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the river bank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for the waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, 
all the way from Engedi to Eneglim. The shores will be covered with nets, drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. There will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. And we know God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. So here we have this beautiful picture of the age of the Messiah. And if you want to read Jesus applying this, go to John 4 and the woman at the widow of the well, the Samaritan woman at the river of the, at the well. She, he talks about a river of living water. He talks about drawing living water. He talks about it and how it brings transformation. And this, wa this water flows from the very throne of God, from the very source of God himself, and it flows out. But it's so Im impressive, this river, that wherever, even flowing into the Dead Sea, it starts to change the, the salty water into fresh water. And it becomes a source, a place of life, because the water is flowing. Well, that's the water that flows into our lives by the Holy Spirit. It's a water that brings life. Where there's death, the water that flows through us brings life. And he finishes up saying that it's a place. That it's the leaves of it are for the healing of the nations. The fruit is for food. It feeds the soul. The leaves bring healing and wholeness. So we have this beautiful picture of renewal and restoration. It's such a scary and daunting thing to launch out into God's river. He starts off with the ankles, the knees, gets up to the waist, and then it gets so deep that you have to, you can't no longer walk in it. See, whenever you can walk in the river, you're in control. Once you have to get out of that place and go a little bit deeper, then you're no longer in control because you are taken along by the river. The river takes you where it will take you. And this idea of swimming in the Spirit, as it were. Now, the Holy Spirit's the best swimming instructor you'll ever meet. But it is. This idea that you're no longer in control. You're no longer walking in it. You're now swimming in it. You've launched out beyond it. So when the, when the Spirit is leading the way, we no longer have the fear of getting out of our depths. He promises as a word to swim with us. So he's there alongside us. Don't know if you've ever been in a sea or in waves or whatever, and you've been walking and suddenly one lifts you up and takes you a little bit further than you wanted and you're out of your depth. There's quite a sensation when it happens. So where the Spirit is leading the way, he leads to where we should go, but he also guides us in what should we should be doing. The abundant life of Christ flows over, bringing life to others. I wonder about you today. Are you a person who's still walking up to your ankles, up to your knees, up to your waist, or have you yet gone beyond that and launched out to swim in God's river of life? This river contains living water. The water is a life-giving blessing. Where the river goes, it brings healing and life. And that life is always in Christ. The life-giving quality of the water in the river inspires us to do things in an excellent, skillful, and successful manner. After all, you just 
swimming is something that you have to acquire. You have to learn how to do it. It's interesting, our grandson, Joey, they just throw him into the swimming pool and he seems to float quite happily. From a baby, from he was a couple of months old, he just fired him in and away he goes, he floats. But some of you who can't swim, if he were to throw you in at the deep end, unlike Joey who just seems to float and get away with it and quite happy, you would start sinking, panicking and worrying because you'd be way out of your depth. I wonder how many of us are way out of our depth in the spirit because we're not used to actually swimming with them. We haven't, as it were, trained ourselves to listen to the instructor. Way back in school, we used to go every Monday morning to a swimming pool, which wasn't very warm. Um, but we used to go every Monday morning to the swimming pool. If you listened to the instructor, you were fine. If you didn't listen to the instructor, and there's quite a few instances of people holding on to other people to try and stop themselves drowning in the deep end. As a family, we used to go every Saturday morning to the swimming pool with, when we were younger. And our youngest daughter, Chloe, was one of those people. And so Rebecca sitting back there used to go blue whenever Chloe was holding her underneath the surface, trying to save her life, her own life, not worrying about Rebecca's. But there's that idea that you have to learn how to swim. It's really important. So it brings this life-giving water. Because we have swam in it and experienced the refreshing renewal it brings, it compels us to invite many men, women, young people, and children from the neighborhoods, communities, town, border, and county to join us in Christ, to swim with us in the river. Because it's a river to be shared. We love sharing our experience of the river. The Jerusalem church, in Acts 2.42, it says that they prayed together, they took communion together, they studied and received instruction and guidance from God's word together, and they fellowshiped together. They shared life together. It was at the very heart of what they were doing. They enjoyed sharing life together. But those four things really give evidence to the communion together, praying together, communion studying God's word and growing in the word together, fellowshipping together. They give evidence to the vibrancy of the life that was present. It was discipleship in action. It was a compelling adventure. Whenever we stand on the riverbank and look at others swimming in God's river, it's always a bit inspirational. You see somebody on fire for God and really launching out. But I wonder, when we do see them, have we got the same boldness, the same power, and the same authority in our lives as they have? That type of lifestyle becomes the yearning desire of our hearts. It's interesting, whenever you read accounts and testimonies of those books, of biographies of men and women of faith from another time or in another place, it inspires you while you're reading it to do it. But after you finish reading it, you forget because life takes over. But sometimes a fire is ignited that you want more. You want so much more. At the heart of it is sacrifice. Surrendering more of our lives to Christ is a good thing to do. Offering ourselves up to worship, to ministry, to service. So, talked about things that make us, our, 
our souls sick? What are the sort of things that God calls us to sacrifice? Sorry? Pride? Is that, is that sacrifice? Is that to overcome it? There's a slight difference. Yes, ourselves. So what do you mean by ourselves? Our time. Our talents. Our wants. So we're... It's always the question. It's so easy to make it out there. So when over this last week have you made a personal choice to sacrifice something? When have I made a personal choice to sacrifice something over this past week? Because that's the challenge. It's not just sacrifice at one point. It's an ongoing, daily sacrifice. Jesus talked about taking up your cross and following him. It's sacrifice. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper then and ask you, what about, he's asked you to sacrifice your dreams. What if he asks you to sacrifice a little bit more than your dreams? How do you know it's God and how do you know it's not God? So you wouldn't just launch immediately into it. You would take a bit of time to work up to that. But it's always best. Is it always the easiest way? Interestingly, in, it talks about God's will being perfect, and good, and acceptable, and well-pleasing. So it seems this huge daunting thing to sacrifice something for the sake of Christ. And it looks like this almost impossibility. And yet when you step into it, you find, oh, God, there's life. Because that's where the river's flowing. The river's not flowing with this consumer Christianity. Well, it's all about you in the center of everything. The river flows where Christ is in the center. And that's the challenge. So we did our time, we did our talents, and what's the third of the T's? Our treasure, yes. Our treasures. Sometimes he asks us to sacrifice our treasures. So Barnabas, for instance, had a field and he sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet because that's what he felt the Holy Spirit was guiding him to do, to sacrifice. So he sold his inheritance in order to lay it at the apostles' feet because it says Barnabas was a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Now God's not asking you to sell your house or your car. But if God moves in renewal, it's amazing what, instead of us doing it in isolation, because that's the joy of the river of God, it's about swimming together. Consumer Christianity says, I'll sacrifice personally on my own. But God calls a church to a place of sacrifice, just as well as individuals. 
Because suddenly, if you're the only one and you know is sacrificing and doing things, you become a martyr. And you start to think to yourself, look how good I am, look at how poor those other people are. But if God calls the church, for instance, to fasting together for a particular purpose, for a season, fasting can be a sacrifice, even though it's a spiritual discipline. Then if you and six others or ten others are suddenly doing the same thing, then it becomes, wow, we're in this together. There's that sense of fellowship through fellowship. If you're doing it on your own, you can feel isolated. But whenever you're doing it with a whole group of others, then it becomes inspiring because you start to share the stories about what's happening through what you're doing, through the fasting or whatever it may be. I'm just using that as an example. Interestingly, over this last three weeks, the, this, the church leadership team has been fasting, just seeking God's face. We meet on a Tuesday morning from half six to half seven. We pray together. Uh, we've just been look, seeking God's face because we believe that as a church leadership team, we need to be more aligned to God's purposes. It's almost like sometimes we're swimming against the current instead of flowing with the current. And we want it to be aligned. Now, one of the joys is that and shortly we're going to invite you all to join us with us in that and go beyond just us. But we want to do it first, and as it were. But there's something about prayer as sacrifice. It's part of our spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God. And it's that alignment. Because wherever the tree, the tree takes us to the Dead Sea. <laughs> it seems like it's going to a place where there's no life. An absolute against all expectation, isn't it? You think it would flow somewhere where there's a lot of life but it flows to a place of death but when the river flows to this place of death the dead sea then it starts to transform the dead sea into a place of life and one of the challenges in any church is that quite often we want to flow into a really nice place of worship and we get blessed and it's all lovely and we enjoy going to church and it's a compelling place and all of that's good but again and again through scriptures, whenever they came into the presence of God, what happens? He sends them back out into the place of death. He sends them back out to those who are dead. And he wants us to bring his life to them. Heaven will be a place of uninterrupted fellowship and worship. But here is the place of sacrifice, of learning to overcome the flesh of overcoming the world, of overcoming sin, overcoming Satan. It's a place of battle. There'll never be a battle in heaven. So the only chance you've got to roll your sleeves up and actually have a good fight is here on this earth. In heaven, there will be no more fighting. Not, well, not good. But nevertheless, here, we are in a spiritual battle. And a renewal center is a place of spiritual battle. So the sort of things that the sacrifices start to create the opportunity for is for our utmost for Christ's highest. That our witness will be that he is who he says he is because we have personal encounters with Jesus. It's not that we encounter him now and again. We're living in his presence. In fact, that Jesus is more than we can imagine him to be. Our testimonies will be effective because we are witnessing to the reality of the life of Christ in us and amongst us. It would not be a compelling place to come to and to invite people to. 
our theology would be alive, full of revelation and truth, and give a sure foundation of all that motivates and inspires us to act. Our thankfulness would open doors locked against this kingdom as kingdom's advance in Telford. Our praise will bring an anointing and strength of heaven to Telford. Our worship will connect us to the throne of grace and fill Telford with Christ's presence. Are you willing to lay your life on the altar for God? Are we as a church willing to lay our life on the altar for God? A corporate life on the altar. So if a renewal center is what is we're looking to do, to create this whole life center, then what are some of the things that it will bring with this into our midst? What are the sort of things, the blessings that it will bring? Fruitfulness, yeah. What about healing and wholeness? What about rest? What about a quietness of soul? Instead of being so noisy with just this quietness of soul. What about a stillness? Because it's, we're in the river after all, and it's the river that's flowing. We, we're having to accommodate ourselves to the flow of God's river instead of trying to do everything ourselves. What about this, a serenity of soul? There's a beauty and a peace about. What about joy? We actually smile, but it's coming from deep within. You think would our church then become a house of salvation where people are getting born again? Become a house of spiritual worship, a house of spiritual power, a house of intercessory prayer where people are really praying and laying their lives down for others to pray for them. A house of prophetic relevance where we're hearing words of revelation direct from God. A house of apostolic authority where the king is present and he's sending his sight under his authority. A house of pastoral care and oversight where no one feels isolated or forgotten. A place, a house of successful evangelism where regularly there are testimonies of people getting born again. A house of biblical instruction where the Bible becomes the very breath we breathe because we, we just love to devour its pages and ex explore it and see what's happening. What about a whole life center sowing its seeds which lead to a godly reformation wherever we go? All of those things are part of a renewal center. Fruit, he says it in verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. So it's not going to be a uniform thing. We've got our variety and our differences of spiritual gifts and talents and unique qualities. But he also says the leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. So decay and the fall has been overcome. And there will always be fruit in their branches. So instead of a season of winter and a season of fallowness, Actually, if we move in this, there's a season of perpetual fruitfulness. And there are churches who have got to that point. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could get to that point of per perpetual fruitfulness? There will be a new crop every month. 
and they will be watered by the river flowing from the temple. And the fruit will be for food and leaves for healing. Isn't that an amazing picture? May God grant that we would become that sort of a renewal center. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward. We're going to give that chance. Thank you for listening to Telford Elim's Sunday podcast. To keep up to date, go to telfordelim.com or find us on social media.